Hey everybody, welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Pokolsky. Today we have another episode of the Q&A format with Ashley Van Houten. Ash, what's up? Not much. Happy to still be here. We're a couple, we're we're a couple in. I'm glad that I'm, I still have a co-hosting job. I think you're doing amazing. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm trying my yeah, best. I think you're carrying me along really, really well. <laughs> I'm trying. You're heavy. You're still heavy, but I'm I trying. Know. But you're strong, Ash. That's why we love you. Yeah, I'm working on it. So, I mean, before we get into all the questions I have, it's been about a week since we chatted. What's going on with you? Everything. My life is busy, but I love it. I actually had a really good meditation this morning, an hour-long meditation, not intentionally, but ended up being an hour long about you know my life. And, and I am very busy. And I just kind of decided in this meditation that I just wouldn't have it any other way. And the only thing that I need to change is my timelines, my expectations of how long things are supposed to take. Because, you know, as an entrepreneur and a type A personality, like, yeah, I can have that done today. I'll do it right now. And then you put 30 other things in the background. And then all of a sudden, you've got a list of 40 things to do, which literally, I probably have a list of 40 things to do that I'm staring at about 12 inches away from my left arm. So that's the problem, right? And I think I love everything I do. There's nothing on that list that I want to cross off. Maybe one or two things I'm like, I probably shouldn't be doing. But for the most part, like I love everything I do. I just need to be more realistic with people and with with myself and timelines because I hate letting people down, right? Like if I say I'm going to do something, really, really don't ever want to let anybody down. But sometimes, unfortunately, I do because I literally have, you know, and at some point I'll, you'll see my to-do lists. They're very long and everything is like, hey, I want it done now. Can you get it done today? And they were, you know, everybody's asking me to do that and it's a challenge. But yeah, my life is great. I'm writing a lot and you know planning a lot and formulating some supplements and I've got a lot of really cool things that I'm working on project wise doing some things in the cannabis space you know building my website so there's there's a lot of things that I'm managing so like I said I wouldn't have it any other way I just wish that I had maybe more time to spend with my kids but I'm spending you know after 4 p.m. my days open with my kids so it's not so bad I'm also very excited about your long list because some of the things that you just mentioned are super exciting to me and I'm sure to a lot of your listeners. But my question to kind of what you were just speaking about and wanting to do a bunch of things and having a list of things that you love, which is great. It's better than having a long list of to-dos that you hate, but that can make it harder to prioritize and pick the things that maybe you should either say no to for now or put on the back burner. Have you put much effort into how you make those decisions? how you decide because you said you don't like to say no you don't like to let people down how do you decide the things that just can wait for sure so i have a system that actually one of my previous coaches taught me and and i give him full credit he's awesome so he basically just prioritized your top five right so you make this massive list and you go well, what is my top five this week and you just you just hammer away at the top five and, and the subcategories of the top five can be so with uh, you know priority number one and, and they're in no particular order but so priority number one i have my to-dos i have my errands out of my emails so like here's all the things i have to do to get this thing crossed off the list here's all the things i have to do to get this thing crossed off my list so i only pick five, right? And only at any one time I have five things that are kind of my top priorities and everything else just waits. And if, you know, once those top five are done, then, or even one gets crossed off the list, then you can bring another one onto the list. But your, your brain is never focusing on more than five things at a time. And that's just the way I do it. So it really allows me to focus and, and literally I can bounce back and forth hour to hour working on one or the other, because, you know, you'll I'll write something for three hours and get bored with it. Or my mind doesn't want to think about it anymore. So I'll put it away and come back to it the next day. And so that's kind of how I prioritize. And I just decide every Sunday night before I go to bed, like, hey, here's my top five for the week. And what do I have to do? What are all the emails that need to be sent, all the to-dos, all the assignments? And and so Stephanie, my 
business manager can go in and see my working document at any time to go, here's all the things that need to be done. And she can go in and delegate them. So she can go in like, hey, this isn't meant to be for Ben. This is meant to be for the designer. This is meant to be for the developer. So she can go in and pull those away and assign those out to people who need to do things. So it kind of keeps the system relatively efficient. So that's really how I do it. It's just kind of subjectively assessing what I think are the top priorities as far as timelines. And so right now there's developing new assets to give away, really clarifying the message for the podcast, clarifying the message for the, for the Muscle Intelligence site, uh, and giving people all the information they need to live their greatest life. So we've got the six pillars. And then within the, the subset of the six pillars training module, obviously that training has always been my kind of thing. So I've got a bunch of body part guidelines coming out. Like if you've ever had a problem building any body part, I'm writing the ideal document for you to know and understand for each of those body parts. And because it's really so easy, right? Once you get it, but most people just have never spent the time to understand it. So building out all those assets so they can just live on muscle intelligence and people never have to ask me those questions again, because we get those as you see so often on social media, people asking questions that could easily be answered in one document that would help you know hundreds of thousands of people. So yeah, that's kind of where I live. Cool. Speaking of that, speaking of kind of laying something out once and for all so that you don't have to answer it a billion times, here's a question that I know you get asked a lot because I've seen the the incoming questions. And I think that this is something that you're going to turn into probably a blog post or a written article too, so that people can have it and refer back to it. But it's about the food you eat. And it's a big question because there's questions about eating for certain goals. There's questions about variety versus simplicity. There's a lot going on there, but you have kind of talked on social media and other places about the kinds of foods you eat and how you like to keep it simple and the foods that you kind of keep going back to. So I was hoping that for this Q&A, we could kind of like really just dig in once and for all, like what are you eating on a daily, weekly basis and why? Sure. So I think the big thing to understand is as I'm often eating cyclically according to the seasons or according to my training at the time, according to my lifestyle at the time. So if I'm very sedentary, like I'm writing eight hours a day, chances are I'm in ketosis. And if I'm training really hard, chances are I'm not in ketosis. Chances are I'm fueling my performance and my recovery with some carbohydrate. It doesn't have to be a massive amount of carbohydrate. I'm an advocate of kind of minimum effective dose. Like what's the least amount I can consume to get the greatest amount of performance? So for me, that may just be in the realm of 200 grams a day, right? As a you know big 250 pound guy like that's probably really relatively little but still enough to drive performance in the winter time no sunshine outside mostly ketogenic a lot less carbohydrate because your body actually needs sunshine to produce vitamin d to improve insulin sensitivity so in the summertime maybe my carbohydrates are higher right maybe my if i know i'm spending a lot of time at the beach or outside you know shirt off getting sun directly on the skin I'm going to have a little more carbohydrate because my body can use it because my body wants it. I think anybody who's myopically attached to any type of diet is confused, right? Like you shouldn't be only ketogenic. You shouldn't be only carnivore. I think those are tools. And I think I've, I've done all of them. And I think they're useful. I, I don't you know, reprimand anybody for following that particular style. I just think you have to realize that it has a very particular application and use it to benefit you. So if you're having an autoimmune thing, carnivore is probably the best solution. If you're having insulin sensitivity issues or inflammatory issues, keto is probably the best solution. Or if you want to have amazing brain function, keto is probably the best solution, right? But again, these are all just tools. So to kind of get to your question, all of my eating happens within the subset of foods. And I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is like believing they have to have this wide array of foods. And maybe you do, but it all has to happen within, or my belief is it has to happen within these, these small kind of subsets. So as I've told you in the past, I eat 
predominantly six types of food, right? And within that, as I say, there's a little bit of variety and I'll just kind of walk through them really quickly and we can discuss them as much as you like. So most of my diet is made up around two things. It's made up around wild meat and or green organic vegetables. So if at any time you see me posting a meal on Instagram or, or, or sharing a meal anywhere, it's very likely to contain a good amount of meat and a good amount of vegetables. And that's kind of the foundation, right? Those are the main caloric consumption. And so wild meat can be anything from you know, venison and elk and bison and, and some grass-fed beef and wild fish, uh, a little bit of poultry, not a lot. I include, I'm recently including a lot more organ meats. Um, I just sent and, you some liver recipes. Have you looked at those yet? Uh, I did, yes. <laughs> I haven't used them yet, though, but I'm waiting for my liver Let me to be know. Shipped. Yeah. I will. I will. Thank you for that. You're welcome. So, you know, I would say, I don't know, I don't know percentage of calories, but a large percentage of the volume of my food is, you know, 40 to 50% is probably going to come from meat. And, you know, it's so, I don't know, maybe at least half of my calories are coming from meat and then vegetables, right? Trying to get a wide array of green vegetables. And that's literally everything that, that is relatively low in lectin. So I'm actually consciously aware of reducing the phytic acid, reducing the lectins by removing the skin in, in many instances. Like if you're eating a cucumber or something, you're going to remove the skin and trying to avoid the foods like beans and you know green beans that are really high in lectins and phytic acid. I'm going to not going to eat those. So it'll be mostly green leafy vegetables. Occasionally eat some broccoli because I like it. Occasionally eat some cabbage because I like it, even though it may not be the best. As long as you either cook it a little bit extra. So there's pros and cons, right? But cooking extra, the suggestion is you're actually killing some of the vitamins, but cooking extra, you're actually killing the phytic acid and the lectins. So, you know, depending how you want to look at it, pros and cons. What would you say is the breakdown for your sort of non-starchy vegetables that you're eating raw versus cooking? Like I know you just kind of spoke to some of them are better prepared one way or the other, but do you try to keep it kind of both? Yeah. So 50-50 probably. Yeah. I try to keep it around 50-50. So I think there's there's certainly detriments to eating too much raw vegetable. And I think there's certainly benefits eating raw vegetables. So, and to be honest, I don't know that there's anybody who's substantiated it enough in either direction. So my belief is I'm going to eat both and I feel good with both. And I don't know that everyone needs both, right? I don't know that everyone needs vegetables. Everyone needs vegetables. I don't think anything is, is something that you, you know, you attached to and say, I need to have vegetables. I think challenging that belief is always an important part of everyone's life is, you know, if you feel like something is a must, I would suggest you question it. The only thing I think is a must for humans is probably going to be meat and fat, right? Like evolutionarily, it would be hard to fight against this reality that we lived as omnivores, most likely eating meat, uh, at least if you wanted to thrive, right? Like if you look at you know, a tribe in the past who wanted to thrive, they're not eating vegetables, man. They're going to get killed and they're going to end up being the meat. That, I mean, that seems to make a lot of logical sense. And people who have studied that stuff would agree. Vegetables are certainly a part of the diet, but they're more like, man, I haven't eaten in a couple of days. There hasn't been anything around. Let's go throw some vegetables down to fill my belly. So kind of like as an adjunct rather than a foundation, right? So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have another question about protein because I've noticed that this is missing from your, when you're talking about your major food groups, eggs. Do you eat eggs? Yeah, I eat egg yolks. So I, for a long time, again, this is, this is kind of guided my current reality, right? Is as a bodybuilder, I ate a lot of chicken. I ate a lot of eggs and my body doesn't necessarily agree with a lot of chicken, a lot of eggs anymore. So in general, Egg yolks, I think, are really good. I think people overdo the egg whites. So I'll have a few egg yolks a week. I feed my children a lot of egg yolks because of the choline, you know, very, very lightly cooked, often just lightly poached. Yeah. So trying to keep the egg yolk as undisturbed, undenatured as possible. Yeah. I mean, I love eggs. I just, I don't think eggs like love me. And unfortunately, that's, 
you know, some same with oatmeal, right? Like I historically loved, actually, it's funny. I started off bodybuilding. I couldn't get oatmeal down, like couldn't stomach it. And then toward the end of my career, because the texture was my favorite food. And now every time I have eggs, my wife doesn't love me very much. It's, it's one of those things where- <laughs> It's so funny though. Eggs definitely are very high on the list of foods that you can develop intolerances to. Like I'm literally knocking wood over here because I would, I, don't, I would have no reason to live if I couldn't eat eggs, but I, that's the exact same feeling that I have. Bodybuilding is the reason why I can't eat white fish anymore. Like I love me some salmon and like mackerel and trout. I will never eat a white fish again as long as I live because that's Just what because I did. I ate too much of it. I ate too much of it. And it, it also, well, I associated with- I think I ever did that. Yeah. What, yeah. Well, but like white fish, I associate now with like, this is boring. This is super low calorie. This is restriction food. And like, it's not, it's fine. It's good. But like, I'm never going to seek it out anymore because I totally overdid it. But hey, I want to ask you this question because I don't know. I've never seen anyone else do it. But you know, bodybuilders, when you're in prep and you start to like combine weird foods. Like I think you mentioned like at one point you were just like basically drinking mustard for the flavor. Like these, these are the things that, that change in our brains when we're restricted for a long time. But my favorite, one of my favorite breakfasts now to this day, but I did it a lot when I was bodybuilding prepping is oatmeal with eggs, but the eggs are mixed into the oatmeal. So I'd like crack these yolks into oatmeal and eat them all mixed together like a gross, weird egg oatmeal bowl. Well, you did it backwards. You're supposed to put the eggs in the pan and mix the oatmeal in the eggs. Did you ever do that way? So mix the oatmeal in with the eggs in the pan? Yeah. Oh, so yeah, it's like so, a baked like... Uh, right. Oh. So the eggs are a little more cooked. Yeah, that's the way you do it. And okay. then the, the oatmeal... Yeah, that's the way I did it. So I was the king of that when I was competing. That was like my treat. So if I ever got like a cheat day or a carb up day, that would be like breakfast. I'd throw some berries in there with some cinnamon. Yeah, and, oh man, that's that good awesome. stuff. Okay. All right. Yeah. Moving, moving on, but that is a delicious. People don't knock it till you tried it. Eggs and oatmeal together. There's no yeah, reason to put them. Yeah, you do like four to six eggs in that, or I would do four to six eggs in a pan, cook them like 20 or 30%, then add the oatmeal. So it still like sops into the actual white and the yolk and then cook it all together. It's amazing. I feed that to my kids sometimes. Yeah, delicious. You know, yeah. So it started off as like oatmeal pancakes, right? So I started with oatmeal pancakes, which was like basically oatmeal and eggs. And then I just started to make it into a scramble because I was too lazy to make it into a pancake. Yeah, I like it. Okay. We might ha- at one point have to put a couple of these recipes on the uh, website too, because these are, they're sure. good. And they're like very good for like- you ever pumpkin to that? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, it's good stuff. Okay. All right. So we went off track, but you were talking wild game and organic green vegetables. What else? Right. So yeah, wild game, organic green vegetables. And it's really simple. I'll run through the list. So we've got wild meat, organic green vegetables, or avocado, berries, olive oil, and coconut oil and MCT. And and if I was to replace that with anything, it would probably be eggs, right? Like egg yolks being so, so important. And, and a lot of people are kind of questionable about coconut oil, but I think coconut oil is a superfood for many reasons. Uh, but you're right, egg yolks, if there was a, a seventh food would be top of the list. But going through why each of these exist, and you'll notice like most of these or three of them of the four are fats, right? So I think our body needs high amounts of monounsaturated fat. So really hammering in the olive oil, really hammering in the avocado and uh, the coconut oil. So I think I've, you and I have talked about how much of an olive oil snob I've become over the last few years. Like I used to think olive, like when I was competing, I never consumed olive oil because all I knew was the stuff you got from the store and it tastes like pretty much 
flavorless crap. So since I was competing, one of my previous business partners introduced me to this fresh pressed olive oil. And now I'm a snob. I'm an aficionado. Like I'll, when I travel the world, I'll see an olive oil like shop and I'll go in and like sample all the olive oils. I'm like doing taste tests. And I was in Columbus, Ohio for the Arnold this year and I was with Jordan Shallow. And he's making fun of me because we were standing in Airbnb and I went over to like this olive oil shop and I was testing all these different, uh, you know, exotic olive oils from all over the world. But if you've never tried fresh plus olive oil, I know you have. It's probably my favorite thing right now. Like I'm literally, I was at breakfast this morning at like 10 o'clock here at the gym and I was telling everybody like, I think the reason I eat is so that I can have something to put <laughs> olive oil on. Yeah. I, it's really that good. Yeah. It's really that good. I mean, the normal stuff you get at the store, if you're comparing it against that, like you think I'm, I'm cracked, but the day you try a fresh pressed olive oil is, it's the greatest thing I've had in a long time. It's almost like a different food, honestly. And I Completely. think that it's there's a privilege that comes from being able to make these choices to buy the better quality stuff. Like I always go back to the first time I had an organic chicken. And if you buy an organic chicken, it's like, like it's ridiculous. It's very expensive. And people who are used to buying like rotisserie chickens at the grocery store for seven bucks or whatever, people are like, that's crazy. But the first time I had an organic roast chicken, I'm like, this tastes like a different animal. And it's the same thing with olive oil too. And not only does it taste better, but it, it literally is the difference between a rancid product that could almost be detrimental to your health and a product that has like a ton of health benefits too. So there are some things I think worth investing in. Sure. The polyphenols, the oleic acid, the monounsaturates, those are probably some of the most powerful superfoods we have. And, you know, until you try fresh-pressed olive oil, so how do we kind of rationalize fresh-pressed? So I'll have it, I think, within about six weeks of it actually being harvested and pressed, which is incredible. And the suggestion is, I think after six months, maybe it was 12 months, there's literally zero positive effects from olive oil, right? So all the polyphenols are gone, they've been oxidized, and all the, the actual vitamins in there are just no longer present. So the stuff you're buying in the store is effectively just fat, right? Which is great. Like you get some, some monounsaturated fat, good for you, but you're not getting all the additional, but you know, added benefits of vitamins and polyphenols. So I was, I was very blessed to come across. I think we've talked about this in the past, the fresh press olive oil company, which is a company out of like North Carolina. And this dude travels the world to, to all these different regions. And he'll go, I think, you know, and, and like call it, late years, so November, December, he's off in Australia, New Zealand, and he's going to the places that are actually harvesting at that time of the year. So he's got three or four places throughout the year, geographical locations that are going to harvest olives at different times, goes directly to the farm, says, hey, I'll pay for your entire crop. I want all these bottles done like this. And we're literally getting them shipped in to your door within four to six weeks, I think, or I believe it's about six weeks of the actual pressing day or the actual harvesting, which is crazy, right? So think about harvest, press to your door within six weeks. Like we just got one from Chile. Danny and I were talking about this morning. Danny Vega and I were talking about it. It's, it's literally green, right? So you see olive oil, like, oh, it's kind of a yellow. It's like, and no, no, this stuff was green and it was the best tasting thing. And it's peppery. It's, anyways, we're kind of going on about olive oil, but so Fresh Press, though, they offer different products from different places around the world. Like, do they have like their own kind that comes from California or how does that work? No, I don't think they do. I think they just, I think all of they it just is, source the best stuff. Yeah. I don't think there's any from North America. I think they're all from right now. I've got a Spanish one and I've got a Chilean one and I've got an Italian and a Greek and an Australian and New Zealand and probably a bunch of other countries in between that I'm forgetting, but they're amazing. You gave me one from Greece. Yeah. Well, this is a company based in Ottawa, but the thing that's interesting about the company that I like and the company that you like, and it's something I think the average person has no idea because I didn't until I met the person who owned this company, is that 
there should be a harvest date on that bottle. And if there isn't, you have no idea how old that thing is. And olive oil goes bad. Olive oil should be consumed quickly and while it's fresh and within, you know, eight to 10, 12 months or whatever of, of harvesting. So if you're buying a bottle, a clear plastic bottle in a grocery store that has no dates on it whatsoever, you can bet that stuff is already bad, right? So, so I think that's- When this first came yeah. on my radar, sorry to interrupt you, when this first came on my radar, there was that huge controversy over like the mob apparently like hijacking olive oil and, and cutting it with something else. Are you familiar mm-hmm, with that mm-hmm, in the news? Mm-hmm, yeah, like yep. I don't know, that was a couple of years back, but that's when this first came on my radar. I'm like, really? Like they're making it, I think it cutting it with canola oil or something. And everyone's like, don't buy olive oil at the stores. So everyone was all scared. And I was like, well, I'm getting olive oil directly from a farm. So I'm pretty sure it's pretty good. And that's kind of when this really became a thing for me. And, I, and you know, like I literally, I think I had like six or eight of these bottles when I was competing, like accumulating in my house. And I just never opened them because as a competitive bodybuilder, nobody speaks of the benefits of olive oil, right? And, you know, as far as the benefits, like anti-inflammatory to the max. So for someone who's training hard, man, hammer the hammer the olive oil, right? It's kind of the only fat that I'll consume in the last four to six weeks before a contest. You know, in the past, it was like a little bit of fish oil and a lot of olive oil, right? Or like, this is what I advocate now. And the benefit is tremendous. But anyways, without spending too much time on olive oil, avocado, same idea, right? Avocado fiber. Well, um, wait, before you go into avocado, though, I have a couple of things just before we move on. So the olive oil, I know you mentioned Fresh Pressed, and I know that they're like great company and they give you, they basically keep you alive by sending you an exorbitant amount of olive oil because you go through a lot of it. But they were also going to, and we can maybe put this in show notes because I think they were going to provide us with maybe a, a special for your listeners or something. So we'll just make sure that we put that in the show notes for people to check out and learn more about the company. Yeah. So because I, I probably their greatest consumer of olive oil, I think by volume, a, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was just saying the greatest consumer. <laughs> the greatest person. And I, I use the most of their olive oil. Yeah. I think they're going to hook everybody up with a dollar bottle, which is pretty damn sweet, right? So because it's a seasonal thing, it's got to be like before the certain date, whatever that happens to be, we'll put it in the show notes. But Yeah, we'll figure uh, it out. Yeah, so that's super cool. So you guys will get pressed within whatever. And going back to the coconut oil, my question for you about that was, because I think there's there's tons of information out there. People can do their own research about the you know fatty acids and the saturated fat being good for you for brain health and all that stuff. But how do you actually use your coconut oil? Because for me, I basically use it to like cook my eggs. I don't mind that's that it all. has kind of a coconutty taste yeah. that's what you, yeah that's how you use yeah. it okay for a long time that was kind of my primary cooking oil and because i don't do any dairy right i can't do any butter because it really messes me up so that's kind of my primary cooking oil uh, but now i kind of got away from cooking with oil right just from the, the oxidative reasons um so i just kind of cook without oil as much as i can and then i'll add olive oil afterwards um, Although it's worth noting that coconut oil does actually have a pretty high smoke point sure. as far as as oils Saturated. go. So yeah. if you're paying attention and like using a good pan and all that stuff, you're probably okay. But yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. yeah. Now again, with coconut oil, getting organic is extremely important as well. So I've heard some horror stories, right? Since going into the supplement business, we talk about like sourcing MCT, and they have many different sources of MCT, as you could imagine, which ultimately should come from coconuts. It should come from organic coconuts, and there's been a lot of publicized horror stories behind where this coconut oil is coming from and like what they find in the, in the oils that are being transferred across seas. And it's pretty freaking gross, man. So finding organic ones that are certified, that are you know, high quality is important and, and staying away from plastic bottles, right? So a lot of coconut oil will come in plastic containers, like you can buy those massive ones in, in plastic containers and they're so cheap. But ideally, you're still getting plastic. You're still getting estrogens. You're still getting bisphenol A and phthalates and all these things that are that we must avoid if we want to thrive. Yeah. 
Okay. You also have, I think you mentioned in your list for when you really want to just like go all out and let your hair down that you'll have some berries sometimes too, right? Why are you make fun of that? <laughs> well, remember, <laughs> listeners will remember that the previous podcast, you talked about your, you know, death row meal being a salad. So moving on, <laughs> sometimes you treat yourself to some berries. But I actually, I it's funny because I am somebody who's a little bit more, maybe I add a little bit more sugar in my diet than you do, but I don't eat a lot of fruit at all generally because it's just, it's more sugar than it's worth. I don't really care enough. If I want to have a treat, I'm going to have some chocolate or something, but I, I am a big fan of when I feel like it and seasonally adding berries in because they're just the the amount of nutritional benefit you're going to get from it is worth any of the maybe sugar or carb issues that you're going to have. Well, I think the reality is that most berries, I think if not all berries, are very low glycemic, right? So we're not going to get a huge glycemic response. I can actually eat a good amount of berries and not get any blood sugar response at all. Obviously, I'm a big man who trains a lot. So that's kind of a consideration. But that's the reason I do it is is very little, if any, blood sugar response and loaded with polyphenols, right? Loaded with benefits. And I'm a big fan of polyphenols just for the brain benefits. You know, as we age, you know, anyone over the age of 28 or 30 starts being, should be become aware of this reality that your brain is going to be the first thing to start to break down, right? If you, if you're loaded with inflammation, your brain's going to start to break down, your sleep is going to start to go and your brain is going to start to deteriorate. And literally that happens as early as 25 to 28 years old. You may not notice it until your early forties, but that starts to happen. So supporting your brain with healthy brain nutrients, right? So polyphenols is up there. MCT is up there. So that's why coconut oil is on the list so that you can support the production of ketones and support the de- decrease of inflammation. Same with the monounsaturates. So all these all these foods have a reason, right? So if we look at the, the meats, I mean, you're looking at iron and, and B vitamins and zinc and all these other micronutrients that we know have the greatest absorption from meats. So that's kind of why all these foods are on there. And then there's a couple other foods that I'll kind of throw out as kind of honorable mention. And coffee is one that I am a big advocate of. I'm a massive fan of drinking coffee for the polyphenol benefits. Again, it's got to be organic. It's got to be free of mold. It's got to be fresh. So if if you like purchase beans and they're old, chuck them. Like once you open that bag, you got to use it within seven days. That means you got to double your coffee consumption. No problem. That's good though. That's really (laughs) good for you to highlight though, because just like with olive oil, people don't know this. People will buy pre-ground coffee and keep it in their cupboards for like six months. And it's like, that stuff is garbage now. Like you need to just, yeah, quick turnover. Right. And I think everyone in the fitness industry was misguided for a long time about salt. So don't be afraid to consume salt. Salt is so important, especially if you're stressed, especially if you're training hard, if if your cortisol is elevated from anything, salt is going to be important. And obviously lots of water is going to be up there as well. So, you know, super important to where your salt is coming from, making sure you're not getting a salt that's loaded with plastics. There's been some suggestions that a lot of the salts out there actually have microplastics in them. Yeah. I was going to ask you, how do you know? Uh, you know, Dr. Anthony J, who was on the show, suggested that I connect with Real Salt, Redmond Real Salt, which is based in Utah. They have a salt mine. So he's like, hey, man, this is not coming from the ocean. So you're not getting microplastics. And I've just been using them ever since. So they had no affiliation. They're just a good company. So they are literally pulling it from a mine. He's like, there, there's no estrogens. There's no, he's got a huge list. Actually, I was looking at it yesterday. Let me show it. It might be worth, though, I mean, people really doing their extra research because I think at some point, yeah, everyone was like, oh, sea salt, that's the healthy one. And then there's, yeah, the pink Himalayan, and but they can still be being sourced from kind of crappy sources. So it's worth kind of doing your research and finding out where it's coming from. Yeah, for sure. And like, I'm starting to get pretty neurotic about what goes into my diet. And, and I think, you know, maybe using me as an example of kind of someone who's who's maybe overly neurotic, but a, but a high end, you know, kind of point to strive for, right? So I'm neurotic about not using oil 
because aluminum is getting into your body. I'm, a, I'm relatively neurotic about really neurotic and not using plastic, especially single-use plastic. So there's no no microwaving or there's no period. There's no using Tupperwares. There's no saran wrap or like plastic wraps. There's no individual use forks and knives and spoons and stuff and like water bottles, right? Like I've probably used five plastic water bottles in the last 12 months. And even that I think is too much. So it literally gets to the point where if I can only drink plastic, if it's been like 12 hours since I've had water, I'll drink from the plastic. But if not, I just won't drink. I'll just stay away and wait till I get my my actually filtered water or you know, some good source of water with a, from a glass bottle. You know, a few other things that I throw in there on carb up days, it's usually sweet potato. Like if I'm a big fan of sweet potato and squash. I'll do a lot of white rice when I'm carving up. Those are kind of my primary car- carb sources and I keep it super simple, right? Everyone's like, oh, why don't I have this and this and then quinoa and man, just keep your life simple and you don't need to have all these diverse foods. And I don't mention dairy and dairy, that's just a personal thing, right? And to be honest, I think dairy can have like kind of both ends of the swords. So if you do dairy really, really well and, and it, you tolerate it, make sure you get a high quality source because the quality in, in North America, especially is just terrible unless you're getting really high quality organic grass fed and then you're paying three times as much. And I understand it's a cost thing for some people, but if it is, it's your life and, and pay more and eat less or just don't eat it at all, right? Quality of the stuff is probably the most important. So here's a fun dairy story because I am very fortunate that I've even had DNA testing um, back this up that I have whatever gene it is that allows adults to continue to digest and tolerate dairy like past childhood because most people don't really. There's like a sliding scale, but majority of human beings should not really be digesting dairy like as adults, but I have it and I can like basically crush like cream and yogurt and butter and stuff all day long and I'm fine. So high five myself because I love it. I love dairy. Good quality dairy. But for a while, I was like, I want obviously the good stuff. I want raw if I can get it from local people that I trust or whatever. And where I was living at a certain time in Atlanta, Canada, it's illegal to drink or to buy raw dairy for human consumption, but you can buy it for your pets. So I remember there was a farmer's market that had, I think it was raw goat's milk that was like air quotes for your pets. And I'd be like, hey, can you give me some of that raw goat's milk for the dog that I do not have? And I would just drink it myself. And it was amazing. So illegally purchasing raw goat (laughs) milk. That's how I roll. You can buy raw butter and cream and stuff in Florida, but it has to be for pet consumption. It's so much more delicious. It's so much more delicious. Okay. But I have some, some questions about some of the things you mentioned. So one is white rice versus people are going to ask, well, why not brown rice or why not other like wild rice whatever. Why do you prefer white rice? Phytic acid. So brown rice has the, you know, the germ attached and and apparently going to cause some havoc on the GI tract. So trying to avoid that, you know, why are you eating carbohydrates? The the amount of vitamins you're going to get from brown vitamin from brown rice is basically zero. So just avoiding the irritants to the gut lining. So do we need that extra fiber or that extra vitamin that may potentially be there? Like I say, Probably not. Just go straight with the white and make sure it's organic because rice can be typically very high in arsenic. So make sure you're getting a high quality organic white rice. Like rice is one of those things that should definitely be organic, right? They talk about some of the ones that you can kind of get away with if they're not organic and some of them that you probably, that you should get organic. And rice, in my belief, is one of those things that must be organic because, because of the arsenic. 
And then I wanted you to talk a little bit more about the whole sort of diversity aspect of it or, or lack of, I guess, because there is a lot of conversation on both sides where people are saying that it's easier maybe for certainly for fat loss, but for sustainability and for like decision fatigue and all of these things to kind of pick your 10, 15 foods and kind of just cycle those and eat those. And maybe you can switch things up seasonally. And then there are people who are like, the more variety, the more diversity you can get in your diet, the better. And you should be trying to eat something different every day. And you have said that at least for your kind of current goals and what you're trying to do, having this sort of smaller list of foods that you're eating is working better for you and that maybe people put too much emphasis on diversity. Well, there's still massive diversity within my list, right? So even though there's only six foods that I eat, there's still diversity within each subset, right? So it's not the same type of meat every day. It's not the same vegetables every day. It's always, it's not the same berries every day. It's always kind of rotating through. So you are getting enough diversity. And the argument is just like, Okay, I want more. I want more diverse vitamins and minerals. Well, with, within those, you're getting everything you possibly need. And if you have some genetic outlier anomaly where you're short on something, well, you need to get DNA testing and determine what that is, and then supplement that. Right. So, the only one thing that people may argue could go on this list, which would be beneficial, would be nuts. Right. So we could argue that putting in some Brazil nuts for selenium would be very, very useful. And I do sometimes, right? I just don't think it's a staple. So those would be things that we would argue that, hey, you need to put this in. So like one week of the month, I'll buy a big bag of Brazil nuts and I'll eat the whole bag throughout the week because that amount of selenium can help your body get rid of heavy metals. And heavy metals is a big, big concern. So if anyone wants to do a hair analysis to look at the heavy metals basically since for your life, I highly suggest it. I'm actually going to have a guy on the show sometime soon to go through my hair analysis. And so I'm currently You don't have any hair, Ben. <laughs> I'm currently growing up the hair on uh, my face. Okay. So you can do a beard analysis for the heavy metals. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah, I'm actually going one, one strand of hair right now in the back of my head and I'm going to wrap it around. Very attractive. That's a, that's a new trend. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's going to be doing it now. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I think that the diversity thing is just you know overthought and, and overrated, I think. And within those small subset of foods, you can get all the vitamins and minerals you really need. Yeah. And I suppose you're right. You're saying like, you know, you're listing six major food groups, but within that, like wild game, there's 50 different animals you can pick from non-starchy vegetables, a hundred, like there's, there's plenty you can do there. I have another question about, you've talked about kind of eating maybe like seasonally and also as per how your training's changing. And so there are different times of the year or whatever, where you might be eating more carbs. Do you generally in those times kind of subscribe to more of a like front-loaded or back-loaded carb approach or is it more timed around when you're working out? Do you have any, do you kind of plan that? Yeah. So it kind of depends on my goals, right? If I'm going through a phase where I'm trying to lose body fat, I mean, my body's always over the place, right? Some days I'm gaining muscle, some days I'm losing muscle, some days I'm adding or I'm losing fat. So if I'm intentionally trying to lose fat, I just will hold my carb off till the end of the day. So I know my body's going to be using a lot more fat for fuel during the day, provided I'm not highly stressed. If I'm trying to build muscle, I'm going to load the carbs before, during, and after the workout. And then kind of that's it for the day. So really cyclical around my, my particular goals at that time. Okay. And have you ever worked with or, or played around with protein fasting specifically? Great question. Yeah. I was hoping you'd ask that. I do. So I intentionally avoid protein at least one day of the week. And when I say avoid, it's not necessarily zero, but it's pretty darn close. Like I may consume 40 to 70 grams, 40 to 60 grams in a day, which for me is pretty low. And sometimes I'll consume zero. I think it's important. I think it's important to give your digestive tract a break. I think it's important to not stimulate mTOR. And this is from a longevity perspective, right? If I was still trying to build as much muscle as possible, I probably wouldn't do it. Like I may do it, right? So they actually have some, some clients who, if anyone's fighting digestive stuff where you're overbloated all the time and not digesting your food well, 
taking a day off of eating protein is very, very helpful. And obviously in that case, you put your fats up, you put your carbs up and, and I would still even keep fiber relatively low on those days. So I think it's certainly a useful tool and I try to implement it as often as possible. Like, you know, sometimes during the week, I just won't eat till 5 p.m. and we'll call that a protein fast. And sometimes I'll intentionally eat and avoid proteins. And it's just kind of go by like, how does my digestion feel right now? If my stomach is bloated and I don't feel like I feel highly energetic, really just vigorous, I'm going to pull back on, on all the digestive stress, right? Because like, if anyone's ever fasted, you know, at, at that 18 hour point, your brain just lights up and you're just like, okay, I'm ready to go. And I don't need water. I don't need coffee. I don't need food. And then when you do finally put food in your mouth, it tastes just so much different. I think everyone should experience that. And, and you know, giving your body that break from protein in particular, I think is an important part of optimization. So what would some of your meals look like when you're doing protein fasting? Like, is it just a big ass salad? A lot of fat? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it'll be, you know, I'll pick two or three or four vegetables and either steam them. I'll do maybe, you know, maybe it's a salad or maybe I'll do some kale and some spinach and some broccoli and some cucumbers and some whatever's green that I could find that looks fresh at the grocery or at the farmer's market. And then I'll add a ton of olive oil, add a, you know, a whole avocado, some sea salt. That's kind of it, you know. So, you know, the foundation of that meal is going to be anywhere between four and six vegetables plus my olive oil and avocado. Okay. Yeah. I've noticed a couple times on your Instagram that you would post about sort of like a big meal that you had and you've got the hashtag OMAD, like OMAD, which I is one meal a day, right? That's what that hashtag is. I never use that because I love to eat all the time. So I rarely have one meal a day. And I just got to say like that hashtag OMAD kind of makes me so sad. And I have had that locked and loaded for like a week because I wanted to say it to you because it rhymes and I thought it was clever. But do you do that frequently? Like, do you have one meal a day frequently? Because how are you going to get the calories in? Well, I don't. I don't get the calories in, but I'm not really worried about it. Okay. Right? So those are the days that it's essentially fasting and you're not worried about like refeeding. Okay. Yeah. I'm not worried about it at all. And honestly, the level of appreciation for food goes through the roof. One, you're going to, when you start eating again, you're going to want to eat less typically. And then maybe once you kind of open up the can of worms, then your body wants everything. But like, I'm usually saturated within, you know, five to 700 calories once they start eating again, but, and, and the food just tastes so much better. It's definitely something that I suggest people try yeah. provided you're not concerned with like, Hey, I want to, I want to maintain every ounce of muscle. That's a different game, right? Like if we're, if we're trying to maintain every ounce of muscle, at least consuming some sort of leucine every three to four hours is going to be your best approach. But again, there's this fine balance, but everyone knows this now between like, I need protein synthesis versus I want longevity. And those two things seem to be uh, opposing, right? So if I want to live long, I can't stimulate mTOR over and over and over constantly, right? So prior to the age of 30, we're trying to build muscle, we're trying to be big. Okay, let's hammer this mTOR pathway over and over and over again, which is st stimulating the nitrogen retention, stimulating the protein synthesis, where, you know, after 30, or once you finally become aware of the fact that at some point in your life, you're not going to live forever, you go, okay, well, I don't want to do this all the time because it's going to be ultimately likely contributing to shortening of lifespan. What about drinks? So you've talked about obviously getting, you know, you have good quality filtered water and you have your good quality organic mold-free coffee. Are you drinking any like teas? Do you drink sparkling water? Like what, is there anything else? You keep it pretty simple. I don't do sparkling water. I do teas. I have been kind of experimenting with some different types of green teas. I do like teas. I don't like coffee all the time. And actually, not true. I would love to drink coffee all the time, but I realize there's probably some detriment to having too much all the time. So I probably have one cup a day. It's a big cup. I, I add my, you know, my typical intelligence coffee, which we talked about in previous episodes. I can tell that again if you want what I put in there. And then my brain just feels lit. And I literally need one, right? And I'm, I'm just like 
rolling for the whole day. Like today would be one of those days, right? Whereas like intelligence coffee, you go all the, go the whole day and you feel amazing. Uh, just stable blood sugar, or your brain's producing ketones. You've got the choline in there to kind of support brain function and muscle contraction if that's the way to go. I mean, lion's mane for BDNF, it's just literally the greatest thing, especially on days when I'm fasting. That's kind of my go-to. What about if you're not super concerned about, I guess, losing body fat or staying super lean or whatever? What about like a nice glass of uh, polyphenol-rich red wine for dinner? Ash, you know I'm a wino in secret, right? <laughs> well, not secret anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I actually love to drink a glass of red wine. So to be honest, I did something for the first time in my life this week. I went to the store and I bought a bottle of wine and I had a glass of wine by myself. I haven't done that in my entire life. Wow. That's the honest truth. I've never had a glass of wine by myself. So I just felt like having one this week. I was having a big steak and I was like, you know, I think I'd really enjoy a glass of wine with this. And I had maybe one glass and I had enough, but man, that's the first time in my life. I didn't feel like an alcoholic, which is good. Well, it's all about intention, as you like to say, right? Like if you bought that so you could go get like hammered and cry in a bathtub or something. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But you did it because it's delicious and it's healthy and it goes well with steak. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. It was just very surprising to me that I did that. For the, that was literally the first time in my life. I'm 38 years old. My coming from a family of alcoholics, you would try often buy bottles of alcohol and drink by themselves. I think I've done pretty well making it 38 years. Yeah, it is. But again, and I think about you a lot when I'm thinking about like working out and eating and the that concept of intention because you talk about this a lot. And we've talked about before too when you're eating food and you're making choices that are maybe less healthy. Like if I decide after this call, I'm not going to tell you, but if I decide to eat like cup cakes for lunch after this call. If, totally I, take a picture if, and <laughs> if I sit here and I think, oh, I'm so, my willpower is garbage and I'm going to be fat and I'm going to feel gross after this and I'm so stupid for doing this and I'm, what, and I'm weak. And then I eat those cupcakes, like the intention, I'm already setting myself up for failure and cortisol spikes. And, I'm, and it's you're gonna, reinforcing that thought pattern, right? Right. But if I'm like, I earned this because, and I really want it and it's going to make me happy and I feel so good about this and I'm treating myself and I feel positively about the things that I'm eating. My body's literally going to treat it differently than if I... So, I mean, it's the same with wine. It's the same with all of these things. It's what is your intention? Are you doing this just because everyone else is? Are you doing it because you need to escape from your life? Or are you doing this because it's a delicious addition to your diet, you know? Yeah. I was kind of bored of water that day, I guess. And I was like, this would be a really nice thing. And I don't feel guilty about it. And, and, you know, one glass is not going to do any harm. So I enjoyed it, man. I definitely enjoyed it. It was great. Okay. So the quote from today's Q&A is that Ben says, if you are tired of water, drink red wine. Well, Arnold said, (laughs) milk is for babies. You should drink beer. So now Ben says water is the old version of Arnold's quote. I like that a lot. We're going to switch into Ben says, if you're tired of water, drink wine. Yep. I'm going with it. Yeah, we're going to see people in their in their intro workout drinks, matching bottle of wine. Hey, you might make an argument around that being a vasodilator. I'm just saying. Hey, there you go. You've you've. This will be an, yet another Ben Pakulski legacy: is people drinking wine in the middle of their workouts. The one thing people are going to remember me for. <laughs> There's, worse <laughs> There's worse things. There's worse things. 
Well, I think, is there anything else about food that you wanted to, I mean, obviously we could go deeper, but I, I, mean, I think your diet is way more interesting than mine. I think why don't you should, you should tell us about oh, that. What geez. did you have for breakfast today? Did you have eggs? Today I did have eggs and avocado. My two breakfast meals, I like a little bit more variety generally than you do, but my two breakfast, first of all, I always eat it. I never skip it. And it's always either eggs and oatmeal or eggs and avocado, depending on whether I'm trying to either lose fat or if I have a good workout or whatever. If there's something kind of more intense going on that day, it's going to be the oatmeal. And if I'm just trying to chill and like not go overboard, it's the avocado. Same thing every day. Interesting. And you're eating lunch and dinner as well. You eat three meals a day kind of girl. I am, you know, and like when I was doing bodybuilding, I was like totally in for the like five to six meals a day kind of thing. I loved it because I just love food so much that in my mind, I was thinking, oh, it's just more opportunities to eat. And, and, you know, when you're a smaller person, like bodybuilding, it's funny for most women, the whole thing is about restriction and being hungry all the time. For men, it's like about force feeding as much clean calories as you can get. So for me, I, I tend to have a bigger appetite than my stature would imply. And so it's always for me about uh, portion size and, and kind of controlling that. So I anyway, I used to do the kind of meal every couple of hours and I was cool with that. And then when I'm not training and trying to lose a bunch of body fat, I'm generally like a, I stick to a three meals a day kind of thing. I mean, it usually works out quite well for me. I do try to do like a maybe once a week, 24 hour fast, because I feel like over years of experimenting and kind of doing the low carb paleo thing, I, I'm pretty metabolically flexible that way. I can go a day without eating and it's totally fine. And it helps because again, my portions tend to creep up and I have one or two off days. And it's very easy to sort of be eating more than I need to. So that's kind of like a nice reset for me. And I think we've also talked about this too, that I like to do maybe every couple of months, like a carnivore reset. And that's mostly a... How long is that? I will go anywhere from like three to five days. So it's really not a long time. And I'm not doing it to fix any sort of dysfunction or, or anything like that. It's literally, for me, it's a satiety reset. Because when I am not paying attention, or I go on a vacation, or I, you know, I'm just being lazy, really, no excuses. The thing that happens is my my portion sizes creep up and I'm like eating the same amount as you would eat at dinner and it's not necessary and it's not good for me. So doing something like the keto reset doesn't work quite as well for me personally. I know it works for a lot of people, but the carnivore one works because I just find that meat more than anything gives you that really, really strong, it lets you know when you've eaten enough and it just kind of resets. And then I can, after three, five days, I'm ready to eat something crunchy again and I'll have a salad and I'll go back to my normal, normal diet, but it just kind of reminds me, like you are not a 250 pound bodybuilder. You don't need to eat portion sizes that are, that are massive. What's a typical portion for you on a carnivore? Let me think. I mean, I guess I would probably say generally, I'm really not doing a whole lot of weighing and measuring these days. I'm kind of eyeballing it, but it would be like, you know, six to eight ounces of meat for maybe three to four meals a day, I guess. Like I'd eat two or three eggs in the morning and then I'd have some ground beef, like a big bowl of ground beef and I'd have a steak at night. But I also do, when I do carnivore, we've talked about this too, I like to eat fish and chicken and like every other kind of animal too. I try not to stick just to red meat because I find that gets boring quickly. But I don't, that's the other beauty about the carnivore thing is I'm, I'm really not even paying attention. Like when I'm eating and I'm trying to track my macros because I'm trying to lose fat, I will actually pay attention to how big my 
my protein portion sizes are. But when I'm eating a carnivore diet, I just eat because I know I'm not going to eat. I literally posted this on Instagram the other day about cravings. Like if you're not hungry enough to eat a 12 ounce steak, like you're probably not hungry. You're probably just bored. Like we've all done it. You open the fridge, you open the cupboard, you close it. Two minutes later, you open it again. Like you're just praying for something delicious to be in there. The next time you open it, that is not because you're hungry. That's because you're bored or you're trying to distract yourself or procrastinate or whatever. And with meat, like I just, I'm not going to get fat eating ground beef and steak. I'm not going to, because I just won't eat 20 pounds of meat in a day. Like it's not going to happen. So I've just found it really effective for me. I know other people like to go different ways, but it's worked for me really well. Are you pretty consistent with particular meals when you're not on carnivore? Like, is there some go-to that you have that it's kind of like you're you're consistent. Yeah, like I, I would say I'm actually quite similar to you in terms of like having like I could write down a list of sort of the foods that I eat. It would actually be quite similar to yours. But I think that the thing that makes it different and maybe more challenging for people like you and I and you more than me. But I travel a lot and I really struggle with staying on track when I travel because I do, and it's an excuse. But but food is such a joy for me that I really find it. It's like I'm stopping myself from doing something I love when I like go to a new city, for example, and I don't eat what everybody else is eating or like the local dive and the place that everyone goes to or the local delicacies because it's maybe not the healthiest thing. Like it makes me sad because I like to do that. But on the other hand, when you travel once or twice a month, like you can't really get away with that. It's one thing if you're going on your one, your yearly vacation somewhere and you let loose, great, that's not going to be a big deal. But when I'm traveling to, for example, New York once a month, I can't treat that like a vacation because it's not and it's going to totally derail my goals. So I struggle with it. When I'm home, yes, I'm, I'm similar to you. I kind of do like eggs in the morning, like salad with a bunch of meat at lunch and, and then a dinner, I have like another nice protein with maybe some sweet potato and some vegetables on the side, pretty standard. But when I travel, it is still, it's an ongoing struggle for me to kind of keep it together. I mean, everyone complains about travel and I've just made it a habit now. Literally, I probably don't even go to the Airbnb before I go to Whole Foods. Like I'll find a Whole Foods or I'll find a meat market and I'll literally go straight there. And I always stay in an Airbnb because I need a kitchen, right? I'm, I'm preparing all my meals and I'll literally go straight to the market, buy myself some vegetables, buy myself some meat and literally that's it, right? Like I'll have my avocado, I'll often travel with olive oil and I'm like, I'm ready to go, right? So like, I think everyone making excuses around how hard it is to eat when you travel, it's just learning how to, to prepare. So stay at Airbnb that's got a kitchen and plan to go straight to Whole Foods. Whole Foods is open until 10 o'clock in most countries in this world. Like if you don't have Whole Foods, go to the grocery, right? No matter where I'm in the world, it's like grocery or meat market straight there. I buy my meat and at least I know I have that, right? So worst case, like I'm going to go 12 hours as a carnivore, you know, and like, okay, so you eat a couple big steaks, you're good. And by the time you can get to a great restaurant or you get to another grocery that's got what you need, you've kind of filled your your gap, right? And I think people make excuses around why it's it's so important or why to, you know, when you're traveling, you have to go fall off your diet or whatever. I think it's just an excuse. Absolutely. I mean, and planning ahead makes a big difference. But I also think one of the things that's helped me in more recent months and years is, again, going back to the metabolic flexibility thing. And I'm not like a huge fan of like fasting all the time or fasting too much or whatever. But the idea of if you don't have a good option, don't eat anything is something that has really switched to my brain recently. Because what again, when I was maybe back before and in the bodybuilding phase, when I had to eat like every couple of hours, it's like, oh, well, I don't have any options. And I'm in an airport and there's only shitty food. I guess I'm eating shitty food. Whereas now I'm like, I don't need to eat this gross overpriced garbage at the airport if I don't want to. I can go eight or 10 or 12 
12 hours without eating and I will actually be better off. And I think it sounds silly and common sense when you say it out loud, but a lot of people don't feel that way. A lot of people are like, okay, it's lunchtime. Here are my options. I got to eat lunch, don't I? Like, I guess I just eat whatever garbage is in front of me because that's what we think. We just have been ingrained to think that way. And I think there's a lot of freedom in telling yourself, like, if there are no good options, you don't have to make a choice at all. You can just not eat until you're ready. Danny and I, Danny Vega and I did that ketogenic muscle building program. We made a post about it actually literally today, the day we're recording about this hunger signal, like pay attention to your hunger signals and realize it's not the end of the world to be hungry. So, and you say we've kind of, we've trained ourselves, but I think it's an evolutionary thing, right? Where, you know, if you became hungry, it's almost time that you need to go kill something, hunt something or, or eat because, you know, evolutionarily, this may have been a problem. Whereas in current society, you're never more than five minutes away from your next meal. So, Okay. I feel hungry. Great. Thank you. Right. Like I don't have to panic. I don't have to get stressed. I don't have to get fearful of, of not going to be able to get to my next meal. So I literally sit with it. Right. And I'll sit with it for hours and say, I'm okay. Like it's just that proverbial fire. The closer I can get to the proverbial fire, the more comfortable I become with this feeling. So that's why I think fasting is a useful tool for people is because like sitting with your hunger and realizing nothing is going to happen is such a great thing for, especially for people trying to lose weight. Right. Like don't panic. Don't stress. Just let your brain become accustomed to being there and smile and literally realize like, hey, great. This is the feeling that fat burning it feels like, right? This is what it feels like to know my body is, is burning something right now. I'm in a caloric deficit. Great. Stay there for a while. And I think people change that association in the brain. They'll change their eating patterns. And I think that would help a lot of us. Yeah, it's so good. And the freedom that you get from that. Like as you said earlier, if you wait and kind of delay your gratification a little bit, the food that you do eat when you get around to it is going to taste that much better. Like we've all had those moments where we're a little bit hangry at an airport and we freak out and we buy some like $8 granola bar in the whatever. And we're like, why have we done this? This is terrible. This was not good for me. But you, you feel like you're, you're not in control, like your hunger and the food is in control. But if you can do what you just said and sort of take a deep breath and kind of have a moment and realize that you're okay and wait, there's a lot of freedom in that. And then you can go enjoy real food later. Well, that's literally the same thing that I advocate everyone doing in every situation in life. When you're really stressed out, great. Say, okay, you know, do the assessment. Like, am I going to die? Is somebody attacking me? Is there something I need to do right now? If the answer is no, instead of reacting, just chill out, take a breath, go into a meditative state for three minutes, do 10 breaths. All of a sudden that feeling's gone and you realize it's nothing you need to panic about because typically it's the accentuation of the stress that makes it worse, right? It's that second dart. Like, cause I start thinking about how stressed I feel or how anxious I feel and I start perpetuating it. Chill out, sit down, breathe. And all of a sudden things are better. But anyways, this kind of went on a tangent. So we're no longer talking about our typical diet and our Q&A. That's okay. I think that's, that all the for yeah, I think that's a good way. I think that's a good place to end it. I think key points that people should remember is that Ben says drink wine and chill out. But before, yeah, before, yeah, do as I say, not as I do from the muscle maven. No, but I would like, I think as we end this, if you could kind of tell listeners just in case you may have already kind of spoken about this, but maybe just do it again for folks who haven't heard it to kind of give us the like elevator speech about this program that you're doing with Danny. Yeah. So ketogenic muscle building, you know, a lot of people are on a ketogenic diet to begin with and are training the typical way they always have. And I think that's a mistake. I think there needs to be some adjustments that are made. The big adjustment that we offer is like actually teaching how to do things correctly. So you're getting the most out of every repetition you do. So rather than just mindlessly going in the gym, which is, you know, kind of the anti what I teach, 
going to go in the gym and learn to be present, learn to challenge a muscle rather than lift weights and, you know, make the most of every minute you're in there and, and positively reinforce this activity you are subjecting yourself to, right? So how can I learn to be happy about this? How can I learn to celebrate? How can I learn to feel fulfilled while I'm training rather than having to, you know, go to the gym and dread going to the gym and dislike going to the gym? We're literally anchoring all these positive associations and we're literally changing the neurochemistry of your brain so that every time you walk into the gym now, you want to be there. And these are kind of things that we talk about a lot and we advocate and teaching you just simple execution tips for your body because your body's different than mine and teaching you ketogenic optimization strategies. And we've actually started to implement some carbohydrate back into ketogenic diets, targeted carbohydrate into ketogenic diets, which basically means around the workout to improve your performance and you're right back into ketosis. And we've seen some incredible results in a short period of time. People can check that out at muscleintelligence.com slash keto. There's a free document there you can check out to find out kind of the five biggest mistakes. And then you can always check out the ketogenic muscle program on that site as well. Awesome. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Ash. You're amazing as always. Where can people find something about you? People can follow me at The Muscle Maven on Instagram. That's like the only place that I am alive on the internet because it takes up enough time as it is. So I've skipped Twitter and Facebook so they can find me there. And you can also check out more of what I'm doing on my website at ashleyvanhouten.com. And we can put that in the show notes because- I didn't know you had a website. Did you launch that I recently? do. And not particularly recently. And it's pretty good. Like it's pretty profesh. You should check it out. I'm kind of a big deal over there. <laughs> so- yeah. If I say so myself, I think it looks pretty good. You win post of the week, by the way, for your man, for your man tears coffee cup. You like that? I'm I'm really impressed with how many dudes have kind of like given me the thumbs up for that. I'm like, you guys are the real MVPs. Like, you can take a joke and appreciate it, and know that a little bit of man tears makes everything a little spicier. Yeah, it's, yeah. it was great. I found, it, especially because I was the butt of the joke. Well, I mean, sometimes it's got to happen. Sometimes you you got to be the butt of the joke. It it makes all of us feel better. Thank you very much, Ash. Have an amazing day, guys. If you love the podcast, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, have it or muscleintelligence.com slash podcast, where you can find all of the shows we've done and all the transcripts. And you can also find special offers from our sponsors. So this podcast happens because of amazing people like Ashley and amazing sponsors uh, who you know generously offer discounts for you and for me. And I'm so, so grateful for them. Thank you very much for your time, for you know giving me your ear and Ashley your ear for this hour and allowing us to do what we love to do, bring on great guests and spread the message of intelligent muscle building around the world so you can live your greatest life in the body you love. Have an amazing day. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.